Hey everyone, welcome to the Think Orange podcast, where we want to encourage and equip leaders like you who are investing in the faith and the future of the next generation. I'm your host, Dave Adamson, and in this season of the podcast, we are talking all things Orange Conference as we count down the days until we can all be in the room together this April. We've been talking about what it means to be human, how churches like yours can better care for the humans in your community, and all of the new things that are happening at Orange Conference. But today, we're looking back at our last in-person Orange Conference and sharing a main session message from Reggie Joyner. I really can't wait for you to listen to this one because it had such a profound impact on me at the time and it's something that I talk about often with church leaders. Check it out. Here's what we know is true. You're listening to this podcast because you believe in what you do as a ministry leader. You know that every early morning, late night and meeting that could have been an email is so worth it. And when you believe in what you do this much, you do everything you can to make it better. You know that the mission is too important not to try something new. And that's why we created the Redesign Your Ministry to Last course from Orange Masterclass. Join Reggie Joyner as he unpacks the five essential values for your ministry that will last far beyond a person, a model, or yes, even a pandemic, and innovative strategies to help you elevate them in your ministry. Start working on your ministry, not just in your ministry, today by going to orangemasterclass.com. I decided tonight I was going to try something a little risky, something a little new. I've been practicing with a a new device uh, that's kind of, I think it's newer presentation technology. It's called a graphic sensory interface. And I've never used one before, you know, for an audience, but I think it's a great teaching tool. Uh, so I'm going to get rid of the TV. I'm going to ask them to bring up uh, this, this device that I'm going to use here for just a second. If they can bring that up, uh, let's get rid of the TV so I can use this because I think it's just going to be much, much more effective at teaching you tonight about you know, what we want to talk about for a few minutes. So this is the graphic um, sensory interface that someone has been telling me about that's just great to use. Um, it's great. It's, uh, if you'll turn that around for me, guys. That's perfect. And um, um, I've never used one of these before. I've heard about them. Um, and uh, I, I just thought it would be really, really fun to just do this today. This is, this is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a, um, a wee little man. That's just scary. How many of you have never heard that song? So see how some of you haven't been discipled. And, oh, look at this. This is interesting. I, I, um, this, this, this Zacchaeus, it's not Zacchaeus at all. It has John Acuff's face on it. I think they must have, they must have sent me the wrong wee little man. So, um, now, in all fairness, in all fairness, John had a picture of me on a t-shirt last year, and so this was kind of getting back even with him. But when you think about the story of Zacchaeus, right? When you think about the story, it has all the elements of being an incredible kid story. I mean, you know, you've got a parade that's going to be happening with a celebrity that's coming through town that's famous and everybody knows it. There's a gigantic crowd that gathers, right? Right? 
to actually watch and listen. And then you've got Zacchaeus, you know, the Grinch, the Scrooge figure who can't seem to quite see around the crowd. And kids love this. There's a tree to climb. We love that fact in the story that happens. And uh, somewhere in the context of this, Zacchaeus decides he's gonna run ahead of the crowd, right? Climb up in the tree. I'm gonna put him back here for just a second. And uh, so he can see Jesus pass by. An amazing story. And yet sometimes I wonder if we've somehow lost the essence of what really took place as this successful businessman in this town was full of whatever he was full of trying to figure out in his interest who Jesus was and trying to find a way to see if maybe Jesus had an answer for the things he was looking for. And he went ahead of all of the people there who detested him, who didn't like him, and he hid in a place where he found a place so he could see if Jesus was everything that Jesus claimed to be. An interesting story. And what Jesus did in this story maybe gives us one of the greatest lessons we can possibly have on what it means to be personal. What Jesus did when he came to the tree where Zacchaeus was shocked the entire community. He actually invited himself to the tax collector's home to stay the night. And that's when the criticism and the rumors began. It's interesting, the questions that came from the crowd. You can imagine what they were like. How could Jesus dare favor someone like Zacchaeus? How could Jesus not know what this man had done to so many families? What good could come from spending time with the most dishonest man in the community? It was clear when Zacchaeus climbed down from the sycamore tree that no one in the crowd saw him the way Jesus did. Everybody needs somebody to see them like Jesus does. Think about this for just a second. The crowd, they saw someone who was driven by personal greed. The crowd saw an individual who would use anybody to get ahead. The crowd saw someone who had hurt their community. But what Jesus saw was very different. Jesus saw a man with intrinsic worth. Jesus, he saw a man who reflected God's image. Jesus saw someone with fascinating abilities and potential. It's interesting that Jesus never let public opinion change the way he saw anyone. Somewhere in the context of this story, I want us to just rest in this idea that maybe Jesus chose Zacchaeus in front of everyone that day to prove what can happen with anyone who's treated like someone God loves. And the way Jesus saw Zacchaeus changed everything. The way Jesus saw Zacchaeus ultimately changed the way everyone saw Zacchaeus because of what happened as a result and what Jesus did that day when he looked at Zacchaeus the way he looked at Zacchaeus personally changed the way Zacchaeus saw himself. And it was a transformational experience. That's because something remarkable can happen when you start seeing people the way Jesus sees them. And then Jesus makes a statement at the house of Zacchaeus. After there's been transformation, after there's been a decision, after there's been a change. And it's always been an interesting statement to me because I've always wrestled with what Jesus exactly meant by this. But after Zacchaeus made the announcement of what he was going to change and what he was going to do as a result of meeting Jesus, Jesus says, today salvation has come to your house. I've always wondered exactly what that means because there's something in my old school style of, of, of evangelism and understanding you know, the story of scripture that makes me think that Jesus was talking about simply eternal salvation and that somehow in this moment, you know, Zacchaeus was transformed and he became a Christian 
and that means he was going to heaven. But I think it goes deeper than that. I think it's much more more important than that. I think it's bigger than just the idea because there's something about Jesus saying today salvation has come to your house that I think suggests something bigger than just eternity. What kind of salvation was Jesus implying? What was Jesus suggesting when Zacchaeus decided to become a generous man? That he was simply going to go to heaven because he made a decision? But Jesus said that day something specifically happened. The same day he responded to Jesus' personal invitation, the same day he welcomed Jesus in his home, the same day he simply engaged in a personal mission to give back to others, something fundamentally shifted in his life. And the interesting thing to me about the gospel and about salvation is I think sometimes in our mind we only think of it in terms of eternity. But what I would like to suggest for just a few minutes tonight is what happened that day in Zacchaeus' life was something that was immediate, it was something that was transformational, and it was something that started in that moment. It's interesting to me that Jesus said, I came so that you can have life and that you can have it more full. And what Jesus wanted to bring to Zacchaeus that day was something that would change ultimately the way his life and perspective was. What Jesus said today was, today salvation has come to your house. This isn't just about heaven and hell. This is about now. This is about today. And somewhere in the context of the story, there's just some interesting things that take place. I mean, I think when I think in terms of the gospel and the lostness of Zacchaeus, it wasn't just a spiritual lostness. I think Zacchaeus, if I use my illustration here, I think Zacchaeus was wrestling with a lost sense of identity. And isn't it interesting that Jesus called him by name? And Jesus spoke to him as if he mattered. He was experiencing at that point in time a lost sense of belonging. I don't know that Zacchaeus was only short in stature. I think Zacchaeus was probably short on friends and relationships. It's interesting what Jesus said. Jesus said, today I'm going to your house. Today we're going to start a friendship. Today you're going to be invited into a family, and that's why I'm inviting myself to your house. And something happened in terms of his sense of purpose that he'd lost. It's so interesting to me that in this simple story of Zacchaeus, Jesus restated in a very powerful way why it mattered for Zacchaeus to see life and to see the world in a different way, in a different perspective. What Jesus did was personal. And sometimes I think we fly through this kid's story and we don't really get the essence of what is taking place as what is happening and we get so preoccupied we don't realize that this story happened at a certain specific defining moment in the story of the gospel when Jesus was on his way, guess where? To Jerusalem? to the Passover, to the cross. Jesus was literally on his way to save the world. And yet in that moment of time, in a little town of Jericho, even though he was on his mission to save everyone, he stopped to help someone. Now for just a second, I want you to think about that. Because I know your missions. 
I know what you're connected to. I, I know what you're giving your life to. I know that sometimes you feel like there are lots of kids and lots of teenagers in a community and a region and a town that your mission is connected to and you're called to rescue and to be a part of this salvation mission to help people understand who Jesus is. But listen, don't get so preoccupied in doing the busyness of your work and your ministry that you're trying to save everyone and you forget to stop and help someone. Somewhere in the context of this story, there's a message to us about pausing long enough to make it personal. And in this one story, we're reminded that you can't really be personal with a crowd. You can only be personal with a person. And so Jesus pulls Zacchaeus out of the crowd and he goes to his house to make a statement, I think to all of us, that in the essence of what the gospel is, it is about a personal relationship. And in a generation that feels invisible, in a generation where kids and teenagers feel ignored, one of the greatest things that we can do to train leaders and volunteers and to show up and do what we do is to remind each other that everything we do really boils down to this idea of one-to-one -one discipleship and being personal with the people around us. It's interesting what Jesus did that day. Jesus identified Zacchaeus in a way that communicated value. Zacchaeus, it's never really clear how Jesus knew his name. I mean, when I think about this story, I think about all the different ideas, you know, about, you know, how Jesus possibly would have known Zacchaeus' name. Maybe he'd met him before. Maybe, you know, he had such a reputation in the town, he saw this, this guy dressed as a, as a businessman and thought, this must be, you know, the chief tax collector everybody's talking about. Or maybe it was simply the fact that he was Jesus, right? I mean, I, I always wonder if Jesus ever played that card a lot. I mean, being Jesus, he knew everybody, I mean, I, you know, just can you imagine Jesus walking by and saying, hey, you know, Sarah, so glad to hear about the engagement. You know, how do you know my name? Well, you know, I'm Jesus. <laughs> hey, Paul, you know, I, hey, I, you know, I, I, how's that back doing? I bet it's hurting you a while, but I bet it's not hurting anymore, is it? I mean, it's just, there's just this thing that Jesus was able to do because he was Jesus. But here's the point. There's something that happened that day when Jesus identified Zacchaeus in the middle of a crowd of people who detested him and the statement he made of dignity and honor. Jesus did something else. Jesus instinctively addressed what mattered to Zacchaeus. Now here's a question. Why did Zacchaeus climb the tree? To see Jesus. He was interested in seeing Jesus, right? Isn't it interesting how Jesus turned it around? Zacchaeus climbed the tree to see Jesus, but Jesus stopped at the tree and said to Zacchaeus, I'm interested in hanging out with you. Let's go to your house. Jesus took the time to enter into Zacchaeus' everyday context. Now, I think when Jesus said to Zacchaeus, today I'm going to your home, to your house, that's when the story shifted its momentum. Because I think the crowd was actually okay with Jesus stopping and saying, hey Zacchaeus, and come down out of the tree, and I recognize that you're in a tree and you're interested in seeing me. But when Jesus said, today I'm going to your house, something fundamentally shifted in the story and people got angry and people got bothered and people got critical and people began to spread rumors about Jesus. Now let's just imagine this for just a second. 
Think about somebody that you don't like. Think about somebody that has just, for whatever reason, shown up on your radar as a detestable individual. And let's just imagine Jesus is coming into a room where that person is, and Jesus looks around and he picks them to go home with. What kind of statement is that? I mean, let's just imagine, if you're a Democrat here for just a second, let's just play this game, okay? Jesus is walking by and Trump's in a tree. And Jesus says, you know what? I'm going home with you. Now you can't tell me it would not bother you. You can't tell me you'd be going, whoa, 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 wait a second. You're picking him? Okay, you Republicans, let's just play with you for just a second. Nancy Pelosi's in the tree, okay, you with me? <laughs> Jesus comes by and he stops and he says, hey, I'm going home with you. You'd be going, whoa, 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 wait a second. Why? Because Jesus doesn't let the crowd determine his opinion and his love for people. You are going to be called into situations where you're going to have to love people and be a part of people's lives that don't make sense to the people around you. And the point of this story is such a powerful, powerful point. Jesus took the time to enter into the everyday context of somebody the crowd detested because he wanted to understand them or at least make sure they understood that he understood them. And Jesus responded to Zacchaeus that day. This is, this is important in a way that removed his shame. Isn't it interesting? You don't see judgment, you don't see condescending attitudes, you, you, don't, you don't see someone who shows up in this story. If anyone had the right to judge Zacchaeus, it would have been Jesus, he was righteous. But there was something about the way that Jesus authentically loved people and they sensed it. And if anyone in the crowd that day had the right to judge Zacchaeus, it would have been Jesus, but he didn't. Jesus had a way of replacing shame with hope. He somehow convinced Zacchaeus that his past did not have to define him. What if we just did that? We believe the work you do on the front lines with kids and teenagers is the most important work in the world. Every meeting with a small group leader, email to parents, and late night supply run matters because you're helping kids and teenagers develop an everyday faith. On average, you have about 40 hours this year to influence the faith of kids and teenagers who come to your programming. That means you need to be intentional about your messaging strategy. Orange Curriculum is a comprehensive strategy for birth to high school. Each age group curriculum not only provides you with strategic messages to engage kids and students with biblical truths, but also resources to help you train volunteers and partner with parents. So start using Orange Curriculum to spend less time planning your message and more time doing what only you can do, building relationships. You can get started today at tryorangefree.com. That's tryorangefree.com. What if we just decided to show up in a generation of people so that we could lean into their world and remind them that their past does not have to define them? Jesus also believed in Zacchaeus' potential to be generous. He authentically believed that Zacchaeus could live the opposite of what he was living. He believed in the generous version of Zacchaeus. Again, he saw something no one else saw. Here's what happens 
When someone's smarter than you, wiser than you, more spiritual than you, actually believes in your potential, you start believing it might be true. It's just this powerful thing that happens when we show up beside somebody. And what have we just decided to do what Jesus did? Everybody needs somebody to know them personally. I, I think that in this story, there are five questions that Jesus knew the answer to. And as we talk about this with our staff and with our teams of people, we simply made a simple decision. That if we could invite leaders, if we could invite staff members, if we could invite churches, if we could invite volunteers, just to decide they're gonna know the answer to these five questions about every kid, it could ultimately change the future and trajectory of a kid's life. And so what we would love to do for just a minute is kind of lean in and go, there are five questions. Five questions that if you know the answer to, it will change the kids' lives that you work with. And not only that, we think churches around the country would have a little bit of a revolution if they simply decided, you know what, we're going to make sure that every kid, every teenager has somebody in their life who understands the answer to these five questions. So here's what we're going to do for just a second. We're going to talk about these five questions and just show you these so you can jot them down. Because somewhere along the way, the first question would simply be this. Do you know my name? Do you know my name? Again, we're not going to go into the research of this or talk about why this is important, but we just think every kid needs an adult in their life who knows their name besides their parent, besides the family they live with. As a matter of fact, research seems to indicate that children of immigrants who, who attend school have a better chance of being engaging or engaged and have a better chance of understanding you know, the, the curriculum and make better grades when teachers take the time to understand who they are, what their name is, and they can pronounce and say their name the right way. You have this potential to basically one day give kids a positive direction when it comes to how you say their name. And here's another one, to know what matters to me. The question would be this, do you know what matters to me? In the context of what we do, we need to understand that kids climb trees all the time because they want to have someone pay attention and notice and that we have this opportunity somewhere in the context of our lives to take an interest in what interests a kid because when a kid knows that what matters to them matters to us, they know they matter to us. And somewhere in the context of our lives, we've gotta dig into what interests kids. We've gotta understand you know, what they like and what they don't like. And here's the point to this question because this is huge. When you know what interests a child, when you know what interests a teenager, then you will have this signal at times when they climb a tree because when all of a sudden they're not interested or all of a sudden they lose interest or all of a sudden some things begin to take place in their life, that becomes an indicator that maybe something has shifted and something is changing. And then we have another question we would like to hand every leader. It's simply the question that Zacchaeus had Jesus answer when Jesus showed up and Jesus said, do you know where I live? Do you know where I live? It's the context of understanding. It's the context of basically in their world and life, knowing a little bit about their everyday situation. Because when you know where a kid lives, when you know how a kid lives, when you know where a kid goes to school, when you know who lives with a kid, when you know who are the friends of a kid, it changes the way you see them. 
Taking the time to discover a kid's world will be the most important thing you can do if you want to translate their behavior. And somewhere in the context of this, this story, Jesus showed up in the everyday context of Zacchaeus. And I think as leaders, we're going to be called to understand the individuals we work with in a different kind of way. And then we could say this, and I think this is another piece of this. We could talk about what it means to not only know their name, we got to get lighter props. <laughs> know where they live, know what matters to them, but know what they've done. You see, the first one is simply making a kid feel the honor that they need to feel so they feel worth. The second one is simply understanding what it looks like in a kid's world and life to be interested in what they're interested in. The third one is understanding their story in context. But the fourth one is creating a safe place that's safe enough because we built history with them, because we care about them enough to show up in their life consistently so when they need to understand what it means to be forgiven, when they need to experience unconditional love, we have been there. And by the way, I, this is just kind of a sidebar. The reason we like to talk to leaders about showing up week after week after week after week after week in the life of a kid for seasons is because here's what we know. A kid can't feel forgiven by somebody who doesn't know them. They can't feel forgiven by someone who doesn't have history with them. And when you show up in a kid's life or a teenager's life consistently and you've earned right in their life by being there, all of a sudden you have a different kind of leverage in their world. And when you've done those things, when you've learned who they are and when you've shown up to figure out what they're interested in, and when you've come to the place in, in your life with them where you've actually experienced what it means to see their everyday world, and when you've had opportunities to have a safe place with them, and this is what we love to talk about, then you can lean into a kid and you can help them understand what it means to move out and experience and to be who God created them to be. You can answer the question, what can I do? Do you know what I can do? There's a generation that I think is kind of stuck in this space because they don't know what they can do and they don't know if they can do and they don't have people in their life who know the answer to the first questions to get to the last question because there's a build here that I hope you see and hope you understand because if I know your name and I know what matters to you and I know where you live and your story and your context, and I have been in enough experience with you to know what you've done, and I lean into you with that kind of history and tell you what you can do and tell you what potential you have and show you yourself, you will see yourself in a different way. You'll have a different kind of trust. I personally believe that every kid Every teenager is not that different than you and me. I think we have this need for people to lean into us and remind us from time to time of what we can do. And I think in the story of Zacchaeus, I think Jesus leaned into Zacchaeus and, and Jesus said something I think is it's, it's very interesting. He said, there's a version of you. There, there, there's potential that you have. On the one side of the coin, there's greed, but there's this other side of the coin that you have the potential and it's generosity. And if you would pick that side and you would start moving at life in a different way, everything would ultimately change for you and you would experience life in a different dimension in a different way. You know what I think? 
I think from time to time, kids need us to lean into them and to say to them, you know what? You have the potential to do things you never imagined. And you can do good. You can do good work. You can do unique work. You can do helpful work. You can do good. You have the potential in you to do things that you can't even imagine. And the reason I think that's so important is because somewhere along the line in my life, you know, I was taught, which is very, very true, that we all are like Zacchaeus in a sense. We, and I'd like to talk about this for just a second, we're short. Because the most famous verse about being short is what? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, I grew up on that. That verse is true. That verse means that there's nothing you can do, nothing I can do that can get to the glory of God because we you know, are sinners by nature. And I, I think that that's a piece of the truth. But, but I thought about that a lot this week. And if it means that, that we really are falling short of the glory of God, and I'm gonna put this up here as my glory of God symbol. The idea that we fall short of the glory of God, has anybody ever told you this, ever thought about this for just a second? That means if you fall short of the glory of God, let's say this falls short of the glory of God, it doesn't quite reach there, right? That means, stay with me on this, don't think I'm a heretic. That means you got part of the way there. Yeah, there's a gap, you can't quite make that. You're not gonna, with your own goodness or your own your merit, you're not gonna make your way to the glory of God or to heaven. The cross comes in here, the cross bridges the gap. We know that, but it bears the question, right? We are the closest thing in the created world to the glory of God and to who God is because we are human. We, we have enough worth in us that Jesus decided to die for us because we still have this potential not to get to heaven, but we have this potential because we are created in the image of God to do amazing things. Now, here's my, my question. This is just you know a question. You can say you shouldn't ask things like this, but I can't help but ask things like this because I'm kind of a skeptic. In my mind, you know, I wonder, you know, okay, if we all fall short of the glory of God, does that mean some fall more short than others? Right? I mean, some people are just closer to the glory of God. You with me? I mean, for example... I don't know, this could be Mother Teresa. Um, she's pretty close. A friend of mine's Bernice King. I, I think Bernice King you know, is very close to the glory of God. I love her messages and what she does. Um, I think you know, I would probably say, here's another one. Maybe this one, let me see, this is probably, I'm gonna say this is Louis Giglio. Um, I won't put Andy Stanley just a little bit shorter. Now, now, now the reason, the reason for that is because Louis talks about the glory of God a lot. Okay, Andy, and so anyway, this, this is, uh, Kara, Kara Powell is here. I'm gonna put Kara Powell right here. Um, this is, and the only reason she's shorter than Louis and Andy is because she's not nearly as old as they are. They've had more time to get to the glory of God. Uh, this is Doug Fields right here. Um, <laughs> but for just a second, We forget about this part, right? We are so programmed to see what is wrong and what is bad in the world, we forget to see the potential because we're created in the image of God because we are unlike anything else in the created world. And Jesus showed up to say, you are worth redeeming. We need to lean into a generation and say, you have potential to do amazing things.
you can do good, not for heaven, not to earn your way anywhere, but in this world, in this life, there's another version of you. There's a generosity side to your world. And if you understand that, you, you will understand that you have the potential. And sometimes we need to lean into a generation to simply say, you know what, you can do good. Something else. You can love someone. You have the potential and capacity because you're created in the image of God to love someone. And you can change. Every once in a while, I have this thought. And it's not a good thought. I have this thought. And you don't tell me you've never thought this. I have this thought. He's never going to change. She's never going to change. Because I've watched their patterns and I've watched what they've done. I'm thinking, they're, they're never going to change. And then I'm reminded of something. That statement sounds logical if you don't believe in Jesus. But if you believe in Jesus... If you believe in a God who created us in his own image, if you believe in the resurrection of a Christ who overcame sin and death, and if you believe that the Holy Spirit can live in someone and nudge them in a direction so that we can experience something, if you believe in those things, then we should be the first ones on the front lines to say to people, yes, you can change. Zacchaeus did. Some of you have. I have seen things in my life. And, and, and it, it, see if this makes sense. And this isn't a one-time thing. This isn't like once you say, by the way, you know, you, you can do good and God has this plan for you and God can do some things in your world and life. And it, this is something we have to remind each other over and over again. Because somewhere in the context of our story, Life hits hard, and kids need to hear adults in their life over and over and over again who re can remind them, you have this potential. You can, you can because here's the word, you can still love. The reason I know that's true is because I, I work with teenagers and kids. All of a sudden, a kid makes a bad decision on a weekend, and things go south, and he's feeling the consequences of what has happened and the guilt begins to cave in and he needs an adult to lean into him and say, you know, that this doesn't have to be the story. This doesn't have to be the way this turns out. You need to understand there's a different version of you that God would love to spark and ignite. A girl comes along and she's been hurt or she's been broken or a, a teenage guy says, I was used and now my heart's broken. I don't know. They need us to lean into them and say, no, 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 no. You can still love. And when all of a sudden we live in a culture that's characterized by hopelessness and it seems like teenage pregnancy is down in stats. Teenage drinking is down in stats. But teenage depression has exploded. We need a generation of leaders who know someone's name, who knows what matters to them, who understands their story in context, who leans into them and who says, hey, there's a different kind of story you can have.
And when kids are known and they know they're known, they face life in a different kind of way. And here's the other reason I think this is true, and then I'm closing. I think this is true because when I meet leaders like you and you show up at a conference like this and we get ready to unpack you know, what we're gonna unpack in the course of this next week, some of you are here and if you were honest, you would say, I'm tired. I don't know if I can keep doing this. I, I feel like somewhere along the way, my ministry's been sabotaged or something happened that I wasn't expecting and it caught me off guard and I don't know exactly, I, I just don't know exactly why I'm doing this anymore. And you need someone in the course of this conference to lean into you. And you know what you need to hear them say? You can still do good. You can still do the thing that God created and designed you to do. And I don't know, maybe in some of your worlds, You've been broken or you feel abandoned or you feel like you know, something didn't work out and you've given the best love you could possibly give in a relationship or you've done everything you can figure out you, know, you, can, you can do and somewhere along the way you just, because you've been hurt, you just don't know that you can do this anymore and you need somebody to lean into you and say you can still love. And for some, I don't know, Maybe there's secrets, maybe there's shame, maybe there's stuff that's gone on in your world and life and you're holding this stuff and you don't really know what to do about it. And the voices in your mind and the voices in your head are the voices of an accuser who would love to say to you, quit, give up, stop trying, don't do this because you will never change. And there's the spirit of God, if you would just listen, the voice of God who would say to you, no, 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 no. I'm the one who called Zacchaeus by name out of the tree and I went to his house and it was an impossible situation and nobody believed anything could change, anything could happen, but the whole town found out what happens if you listen and pay attention to my voice. See what I mean? That was absolutely amazing. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast like I did, would you consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcast? Just like Adam did when he said, I'm so glad I started listening to this podcast. It's been very helpful when it comes to student ministry issues. Well, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts, Adam. Our podcast team really does read every review that comes in. And we also love meeting our podcast listeners at Orange Conference. So I want to personally invite all of you to attend Orange Conference this year, either online or in person. And if you're a senior pastor or leader, then I'd love to meet you at Rethink Leadership. You can still get tickets to both conferences at theorangeconference.com. So don't miss out on this opportunity to learn together. Well, thanks so much for joining us. My name's Dave Adamson, and we'll see you next time on the Think Orange podcast. 